Thanks for joining us on the Authentic Church Podcast. Let's jump right into this week's message. Welcome to the Authentic Family. Maybe you're thinking, this place looks fun, but it's a little bit crazy. It's a little bit different from what I'm I'm used to. Listen, I believe that God is going to impact your life today, that he's going to reach you. I am so excited about this series. Are y'all pumped about this brand new series that we start today? There's a, there's a garden behind me, if you guys haven't noticed, um, because we're going to be studying and doing a series about Genesis in the beginning. And what's going to be really cool about this series is that I'm going to take the book of Genesis and I'm going to reveal how the book of Genesis shows us the last days. It shows us what is to come into the future. And also with this series, I want to answer a lot of difficult questions that you may ask about Genesis. This is going to strengthen your faith. And if you're here today for the first time, I'm just going to warn you now, go ahead and get that pen out because you're going to take a lot, a lot of notes today. It's going to be some good, good stuff. But I tell you what, before we dive into the word, let me ask you a very personal question. You do not have to raise your hand for this question, but I want you to think about it. When was the last time you felt ashamed? When was the last time you felt ashamed? When was the last time you made a mistake or said something you didn't mean or went a direction you knew you shouldn't have gone and you did something and now you just carried this shame? For some of you, you can remember way back when when something happened in your life and you carried that shame for a long time. But I also know this, that somebody has walked into this room today and you are carrying shame right now in your life. What is it that made you feel ashamed? When was the last time you felt ashamed? And I started to think about this. And I remember this story when I was younger. I was with my aunt in the grocery store and we were checking out. And I don't remember how old I was or why I did this. But we were checking out and I looked and I said, I wanted some candy. So I guess my aunt wasn't going to buy me candy. I can't really remember. But somehow, let's say it was Starburst, I really wanted the candy. And yes, the pastor is admitting that as a child, I took that candy and I put it in my pocket. My parents are probably finding this out for the first time. I love you guys. Don't worry. Things all work out. But (laughs) um, it's funny because I got into the car. And being so young and not thinking and being hungry, you know how you make bad decisions when you're hungry, I pull out the candy in front of my aunt about to eat, like thinking I'm going to enjoy this candy. And and my aunt looks at me and goes, where'd you get that? (laughs) I don't remember what I said to her, but all I do remember is that she whipped back into that parking lot, made me go into the store, and I had to apologize to everybody that I took some candy from the store. Now, even as a little child, I I learned that day, hey, stealing is very wrong, okay, do not do it. But I also knew the feeling of shame, like, I can't believe I just did something like that. What was going on through my head? Why would I do something like that? And so that's kind of more comical because I was younger. We all make a lot of mistakes as we grow up. But what is it right now that's really heavy on your life? What makes you feel ashamed? What is it that maybe nobody knows about? that you struggle with on a day-to-day basis that makes you feel like you're not worthy enough to praise God. Because here's a simple truth for you about shame. Shame is always the consequence of disobeying God. Shame, just to make it very simple, is always the consequence of disobeying God. No matter how small it is, 
And a lot of times when we're going through life, we want to justify it. Well, they said this about me and they did this and I'm going to do my own thing. Okay, you decide. You have free will to do that. But just know this, that shame will always be the consequence of disobeying God. You're not going to be able to get around that. And Jesus made it very clear out of Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, and he talks about wisdom. Anybody need wisdom today? Biblical wisdom? Come on, I hope we can all raise our hand in wisdom. I need some wisdom to be able to hear from the Lord. Jesus said, Matthew 7, 24, anyone who listens to my teachings and does what? Follows it is wise. Look to somebody next to you and tell them, you're wise. Don't be laughing at the person as you say that, okay? That's not nice. You're all wise. You are wise if you do what? If you listen to the Lord and you live it out. It's not enough just to show up to church on a Sunday dressed up. It's not enough. But Jesus wants to impact your life. He wants to become the reason you live and breathe every day. That in everything you do, you ask the Lord what is right and what is wrong. And so the Bible tells us that this is biblical wisdom. And then Jesus says, if you live it out, then and only then will you be like the person who built his house on a solid rock. You have a firm foundation and the enemy can't break that down. He can't take that away from you. Right? Because it's wisdom to live for the Lord. So here's another simple truth for you. Wisdom is always the result of listening to God. Wisdom is always the result of listening to God. And some of you may be saying, okay, pastor, I get that. We know that that's the right answer, but sometimes it's difficult. I don't know if the Lord is listening to my prayers. Or how do I know that God is telling me to do something? Or how do I know? And a lot of times we show up to church hoping that the pastor or, or somebody on the pastoral care team would have all the answers. But Jesus says, you know what? If you're going through something, just ask. And we see this out of the book of James, chapter 1, verse 5. If you need wisdom, ask who? God. Ask our generous God. He loves you. He wants a personal relationship with you. He wants to know your struggles and what you're dealing with. And so James chapter 1 verse 5 says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. The Lord is not going to turn you away for asking if this is right or wrong. But at the same time, it's very difficult in the culture that we live in today because so many people are screaming at you. You hear all these voices telling you what to do and what is right and what is wrong, and you're looking at the TV or maybe you're on social media or maybe you have your friends or maybe it's your family, constantly telling you what you need to do, and it can be very difficult sometimes to see what is right and what is wrong, and sometimes those lines seem a little bit blurred because of the culture. So let's first ask this question. Let's go back a little bit. Where does shame come from? Where does shame come from? Because we're all human. No matter our past, no matter our upbringing, we have all made decisions in our life that have made us experience the feelings of shame. So where did shame come from? Let's look back at the beginning. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25 is interesting to me because in this moment, shame did not exist. Can you imagine that? The idea of shame, this embarrassment, did not exist. For humankind. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. Now the man and his wife, talking about Adam and Eve, were both naked 
but they felt no shame. And this is a crazy passage to me, and it's not just about their nakedness, but nakedness in the Bible actually represents something important. It actually means that they were very vulnerable. So when it mentions nakedness, it's saying that they were so vulnerable that they did not care because they were content with what God had given them, and they were not embarrassed of their vulnerability. A lot of us are afraid to be vulnerable. A lot of us are afraid to be real. And we can walk through the church doors. We can put on the happy face. Everybody and their mama's going to ask you, how you doing? I'm doing good. And you're not. You're dealing with something. Or maybe you're struggling in your faith. And we get embarrassed of these things. But there was a time, I'm telling you, there was a time where God created everything in such perfection, nobody knew what shame felt like. Nobody knew what that was like until the moment that Adam and Eve sent. And it was at that moment that they disobeyed God. They ate the forbidden fruit. Then this happened. Genesis chapter 3 verse 7 is the first mention of shame in the Bible. It states, at that moment, their eyes were opened and the first thing they felt, suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. They felt shame because they were vulnerable. And what happens when we feel vulnerable? We want to take control and protect ourselves. That's dangerous. It's very dangerous to believe that you are in control and can protect yourself. In fact, we were not created to have that mentality. So this is what this means. Shame will always tell you that you are an embarrassment. It will whisper in your ear. Shame will tell you that you are an embarrassment. And what I've seen from so many people, especially believers, and Christ came to set you free from this. He came to forgive you. He came to redeem you and to restore you. But even with so many believers, they are walking around with such shame of who they are or what they did. It becomes an identity. And people start to feel unworthy to be loved by God. Shame is a tool of the enemy. It is his first trick and it is his first lie. And so what happens when we make a mistake? Well, I don't like this feeling. I don't like this feeling. And what we do, if you had siblings growing up, if you got in trouble, their fault, right? Every time something happens, who broke this? One of my boys is like, well, he did it. And then my other boy's like, she did it. And she's like, no. And of course, she's my precious little girl. Of course, she didn't do it. You know, it's definitely the boys, right? But we're always used to, my wife knows this is true. That's why she's looking at me like that. But we, we know what it's like to always point the finger at somebody else. It's their fault. So a lot of us will look at our mistakes and say, well, it's Adam and Eve's fault. It's their fault. Oh, Eve, if she didn't do that, then you could have a child without swollen ankles and a hurt back. And the, the laboring pains, all these things, all these fault. How dare her? What about Adam? Man, if it wasn't for Adam, we would be able to work in peace and have fun. But no, we got to work hard. And we got to struggle to put food on the table. So we point the finger at Adam and Eve. But Adam and Eve point the finger somewhere else. Eve said, don't blame me. Blame the serpent. Blame the devil. Pretty much the devil made me do it. Have you ever heard that before? The devil made me do it. Genesis chapter 3, verse 13. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? She replied, that serpent deceived me. There are some translations that say it like this, that serpent that you made. Where's the blame going here? The devil 
and then you created the devil, so it must be your fault. Yeah, that devil, that serpent deceived me. That's why I ate it. The devil made me do it. Why did you tell a lie? The devil. Why did you cheat? The devil. Why did you steal? The devil. Why did the car break down? The devil. That is a lie. You forgot to put gas in the car and you know it. People are always blaming the devil. The washing machine broke. The devil. The devil made me do it. Do not give the devil that authority over your life. You were created to have authority over the serpent. Not him having authority over you. God has given you a free will and a choice to choose. The devil can never make you do anything. And you believe that truth, it will set you free. And every temptation and every obstacle and every struggle, you will trust the Lord and you will know that you are protected. But I realize this, and this is the reason why I want to dive into the book of Genesis, because a lot of us know the story of Genesis. But we do not know how to answer the hard questions. Let me ask you a very difficult question. I want you to think about it. Why was the devil allowed to be in the garden? Why was the devil allowed to be in the garden in the first place? Because many skeptics today would say it was a setup. They would say, God put us in the garden of Eden. If he put us with the devil, then he wanted us to fail. This is something God wanted for our lives to fail. It's all a setup. So the sermon today, I'm going to disprove that lie. But the title of today's message is this. The devil in the garden. The devil in the garden. Now, let me clearly state this. What I'm not doing today is giving the devil a spotlight. I'm not doing that. But instead, I'm revealing why Satan first attacks us with the deception of shame. How he got into the garden in the first place. Why he attacks us in the way he does. So again, if you have your pens ready, go ahead and take some notes. Here's some hard questions. Question A. Why was the devil in the garden? Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 and 13. In this passage of scripture, it's really cool because we get a description of Satan before the fall. We see how God originally created Satan, and then also the scripture tells us that eventually Satan positioned himself in the Garden of Eden. Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 12 and 13, New Living Translation. God said, you were the model of perfection when you were first created. You are full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. Now remember, God is talking about Satan. You were in Eden, the garden of God. So what took place for Satan to even be on this world? What took place for Satan to fall? Well, Jesus gives us some insight about this later on out of the book of Luke. And again, I'm going to be in a lot of scriptures, so if you just want to write them down, that's cool with me. And we're going to have some things online, too, you guys can check out. But in Luke chapter 10... Uh, verse 18, one of my favorite passages of scripture. Jesus has just given authority to some of these disciples, 72 disciples, and he tells them to go out and by his power, by his authority, they're able to see healing take place and they're able to cast out demons, something that had never been heard before. This had never been seen before Jesus arrived to the scene because before that they would use a lot of Jewish traditions to try to cast out demons. They never worked. And all of a sudden Jesus arrives and says, hey, I've given you authority now. Use my name. Demons have to run and flee by my name. So the 72 disciples go out, and they come back, and they're amazed. 
And they're talking to Jesus. Jesus, even the demons leave when we say your name. Luke 10, 17. When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. And then Jesus replied, not only did the demons flee, but he stated this. And I love how he stated it. Verse 18. Yes, he told them. And I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. He has no power and authority against God Almighty. And when he rebelled, it was a swift And he fell to the ground. Don't you dare give the devil authority over your life. It's powerful. So this raises our next question. Question B. Then what caused the fall of Satan? What happened that took place? And we know that out of the Bible that Satan wanted to be worshipped. He wanted the throne of God. He wanted to be worshipped as God. He wanted to rule. And it's pretty crazy. Have you ever met a liar that lies so good they start believing their own lies? (laughs) Can I get an amen today? Okay. That might be another sermon series. I can tell. All right. But people lie so much they can't remember what was truth and what was fake. And somehow the devil is the father of all lies. He lies so much that he actually believed he could overthrow God. He actually believed this lie that he had this power and this authority, and that's why he felt like lightning. But in Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 15 through 17, God spoke to the prophet Ezekiel, and he starts speaking about Satan and what actually took place in his life. And it's very eerie. It's very eerie because it's almost, it's, actually it is, it's relatable. It's relatable to the same temptations that we face every day in our relationship with God. Listen to this, Ezekiel 28, 15 through 17. God said to the prophet Ezekiel, you are blameless in all you did. From the day you were created, again, he was created in perfection until the day that evil was found in you, which means that angels also have free will to choose. So angels also have free will to choose God just as we do. Then it says, your rich commerce led you to violence and you sinned. And then for the rest of the passage, here's what I want to do. I want to break it down. This is the part that I said gets a little bit eerie. I want you to relate to this, okay? I want to show some of the things that Satan traded in for his sin. The first thing that he traded in was submission for pride. Submission for pride. Verse 17, your heart was filled with pride. Why was his heart filled with pride? The scripture tells us because of his beauty. Satan was created beautiful. He had an angelic appearance to him, but one that many scholars believe was above every other angel. And he was so beautiful that he started to have this pride about himself and carries himself. And so he started wanting people or angels to worship him instead of the throne of God. So he traded in his submission for pride. The next thing, he traded in his wisdom, listen to this, his wisdom for the love of fame. His wisdom for the love of fame. What is wisdom? To listen to the Lord. He wanted to give that up. Verse 17, your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor, by your love of fame, who you are. And it kills me because I know so many people that were living for the Lord. But as soon as an opportunity came up, 
or something that they thought was big, they would leave everything behind for that attention, for that fame, for that, hey, look at me. When we were created to look at him, you can never fill that throne. Only God. The next thing he traded in, his holy position to become an unholy disgrace. And the Bible is very descriptive about this. He gave up his holy position to become an unholy disgrace. Verse 14, I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to this holy mountain of God, and you even walked among the stones of fire. You had this position over all the angels. Now, the Bible tells us, this is interesting, that Satan himself was created as a holy cherub. And I've talked about this a little bit before. There are angelic classes out of the Bible. Yes, there are guardian angels that we know of, like Michael and Gabriel. They usually kind of have a human stature, but they're, they're really tall, big, you know what I imagine, bowed up guys, uh, very big. Looks like Jason. Where's Jason at? He's somewhere. That's what an angel looks like. Anyway, <laughs> but then you have these other glass. I have no clue where you're at, so I'm hoping you're laughing with me. Um, and then you have these other angelic beings, right? Like the seraphim, and there's just these mighty creatures that are still in awe of God. And so he was created as a cherubim. And isn't it funny that a cherub in our culture today is supposed to be a baby with wings? <laughs> yeah. Satan's always trying to twist everything. He, he wants you to think, oh, it's just a little baby with wings. No problem. No, no, no. We got a picture. Go ahead and show this picture. Pull that up there. And I'm going to read the description of Ezekiel chapter 10 and 11. There we go. If you can see that. This is the description of a cherubim. Each had a human face in the front. The face of a lion on the right, the face of an ox on the left, and the face of an eagle at the back. Each had two pairs of outstretched wings one pair stretched out to touch the wings of the living beings on either side of it, and the other pair covered its body. And because of culture, it, it, there's even more description about his, his feet being like hooves. It's why the culture today has made Satan this, this idea, like this red man with, with you know, horns and all these things and hooves and, and all this. But in Scripture, we see that God created him, the Bible tells us, created him perfect in the beginning. Beautiful powerful, and he gave him this holy position. Let me remind you, God has also created you for a purpose, and he's given you a position, and he wants you to live that out, and because the devil is mad that he lost his position, he will do anything he can to knock you out of yours, anything he can. Go this way. Don't listen to the Lord. Disobey. You know better. No, you don't. None of us do. But he lost his position fully. Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 16. I'm going to continue reading this. Your rich commerce led you to violence and you sinned. So God says, I banished you in disgrace. From the mountain of God, I expelled you. Oh, mighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire, you were banished. You fell like lightning. But Satan did not fall on his own. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, 
the great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world was thrown down to earth with what? With all of his angels. And the Bible tells us one third of the angels fell with him. That's how strong the lie was. That's how strong the lie is. And so the devil awaited his chance in the garden to revenge with the idea and the identity of shame. And he possessed a snake and he convinced Adam and Eve that it was worth it to disobey God. How many times have you heard that voice? That this situation, it's just a little temptation, right? Or just, just do your own thing. Have some fun for one night. It will be okay to disobey God, disobey God. But shame is always the consequence of disobeying the Lord. And the reason why I'm teaching this today is because you must understand why the devil is after you to recognize the lies that he's telling you. You must understand why the devil is after you to recognize the lies that he's telling you. Because once you put all the puzzle pieces together, you get it. Oh, I know why you're telling me I'm not worthy enough. Because you lost that position. I know why you're telling me that you have authority over me. Because the word of God says you do not. In fact, Christ stomped on your head from the very beginning out of the book of Genesis. A prophecy that took place. That was spoken. One third of the angels fell. Revelation chapter 12, verse 4. His tail swept away one third of the stars of the sky, and he threw them to the earth. Now, out of the King James Version, Satan is also called Lucifer, which means morning star. And so a lot of times out of the scriptures, when you see stars, it can represent holy angels because they shine brightly. That's why it says one third of the stars in the sky fell with him as he was thrown down to earth. But Adam and Eve fell for the same lie. What was the lie? Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. King James Version states it best. It says, your eyes shall be opened. This is what Satan said. And ye shall be as gods. Ye shall be as a god, knowing good and evil. And what's so interesting to me, if you study the history from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament, the number one lie that created every pagan religion that is still here today was because of this lie. You can be God. You know how we hear this today in our culture? You can make your own decisions. You decide what's right and wrong on your own. You could be the own God of your life. You don't need anybody telling you what to do. You don't need the church to tell you what to do. You don't need the Bible to tell you what to do. It's the same lie. It's just packaged a little bit different, but it's the same lie since the very beginning, which means, here's the good news, Satan has no new tricks. So everything that he tries to do to attack us, we already know because God has already informed us. But he said, you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Not only that, but if you study even the ancient Jewish traditions, even in the Jewish Kabbalah, it was this doctrine that you could become gods. So many people fell for this. And here's what it did. Listen to me. Here's what took place. It opened the door for shame. When you start to believe 
that you can be like God and you can decide for your life what is right or wrong, shame comes through the door. And it is the first tool of Satan because shame tells you this. It's different from guilt. Shame tells you not only do you do bad things, but you yourself are bad. And that's how it becomes an identity. That's why so many people start to struggle with it. That's why it was the first thing, the first way that Satan wanted to attack. That Adam and Eve's eyes would be open. And as soon as they took that bite, they felt that shame. Let me ask you again. Do you feel shame? Have you done something lately that just makes you feel like you're not worthy? Have you done something in the past? When you walk through these doors, here's what happens. The devil tells you to keep it to yourself. But let me tell you something. There are a lot of godly leaders in this building that have felt that shame before and been completely redeemed today, and they would love to tell you about it. Come on. And that's all because of God. That's all because of him and what he has done. So many testimonies in this room. So what I'm telling you right now, it's not over. Don't allow the enemy to be up here when he should be down here in your life. Because here's where it gets interesting. If you thought that was cool, it gets, it gets even crazier than that, okay? This series is going to be fun. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. But God created something crazy to reveal his love for us in the garden something that you never would have thought would be in that, that way. But God created also the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. And many skeptics would say, well, this disproves our point. Not only did God place us in the garden with the devil, but he also created this tree of knowledge of good and evil. Why would God even create such a tree if he wanted us to succeed, right? So let me disprove that. Let me change your perspective today. Perception. Point number one, the tree of knowledge was not evil, but good. The tree of knowledge was not evil, but good. Let me explain. Because of our fall, and the word evil is actually in the description of the tree, it has been seen as a root cause of our sin. But look closely at what the scripture actually says. Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. The Lord God made all sorts of trees to grow up from the ground. Trees that were beautiful and produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed, now listen to this, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Did you know that there were two important trees there? Some of us do, some of us don't. Some of us have only paid attention to the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but there was also a tree of life, and God specifically put them in the very middle of the garden. But he never said that one was better than the other. He never said that one tree was bad. He just said that the tree was a tree of knowledge of good and evil. In fact, the scripture tells us that everything God had created, especially up to that point, was not only good, it was very good. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31 then God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And the evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. The tree itself was not of good and evil. The tree was of knowledge. And its purpose 
was to reveal a powerful truth. I'm excited about this one. Point number two, two is that truth. Here it is. Point number two, true love requires a choice. True love requires a choice. And I'm not going Disney on you, okay, with this. Because it's not that easy. It's not always a fairy tale. In fact, it's going to be a hard decision to make. You're going to be attacked. You're going to be oppressed. People are going to laugh at you, say things about you. But true love requires a choice. Did you notice something about the two trees? They were strategically placed in the middle of the garden. And the reason that God put them both in the middle of the garden is so that they could never mistake it with another tree, which gives them a really big choice. And the scripture tells us that every other tree that God created had beautiful fruit. They had plenty. They had enough. But God placed it in the middle because he says, you need a choice. I want you to choose to love me. I started thinking because I used to use this illustration a lot. But let's say me and Christy weren't married yet. And Pastor Felix came up to me and was like, hey, here's a ring. Go propose to her. And I said, okay. You know? And I walk up to her and I say, will you marry me? Hopefully she'll still say yes. I think she will. If she says yes, she'll be excited. If she says yes, she will say yes. And then she'll ask me, what made you fall in love with me? What would it do to her if I told her, oh, Pastor Felix told me to do it? Get out of my face. Get out of here. Why? Why? It takes away the meaning of it all. The depth for you to choose to love. God could have created us as mindless robots doing whatever he told us to do. But he gave us a choice to choose to love him. So he placed the two trees in the very middle of the garden to make this choice. The tree was a testing point. To reveal what true wisdom is. What is wisdom? It's listening to the Lord. But maturity and biblical wisdom is this. True wisdom is not just knowing about good and evil, but true wisdom is being able to discern what is good and what is evil. There's a difference. We can all recognize that yeah, there's good and bad in the world, but a lot of us don't know how to discern, hey, this is good for me. This is something God has for my life, but this is bad. This is something God doesn't want me to do. And God has given us this incredible gift that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. The temple of God is your body. And, and, and the Holy Spirit speaks to you and directs our paths and everything that we do. This is true wisdom. Let me prove it to you. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, ESV version. But solid food is for the mature. Why solid food? What are we talking about? Solid food here represents understanding a deeper spiritual matter, okay? To dive deeper, to go beyond. You've given your life to the Lord now. I'm ready to go. Teach me. Teach me the mysteries. Help me to understand the truth of everything. Help me to have the knowledge to defend my faith. How do we become a mature Christian now? Listen to this. But solid food is for the mature who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And that's why God put the tree there. But here's a shocking revelation. 
If Adam and Eve obeyed God's command, they would have still been able to discern what is good and evil without the consequences of sin. Meaning, you don't need to disobey God to figure things out, to have a change of heart. I hear a lot of people say, well, my testimony's no good. It's too perfect, first of all. (laughs) Ain't nobody perfect. But no. Wisdom is following the Lord. You don't have to disobey God to have a change of heart. God was going to do it. They would have still been able to discern what is good and what is evil without the consequences of sin, still living in perfection. But God gave them a choice to choose. Listen to this. This is heavy. The only way to give us a choice of true love is to command something that is not allowed. That is the only way. The only way to give us the choice, the option to choose love, is to command something that was not allowed. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. God wasn't holding back from them. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you'll surely die. And Satan comes and slithers and he says, you know what? You'll be like God's. You'll be able to rule, know everything. But what they had before was way better. They were walking with God. They could talk to God directly, ask the hard questions. They were to enjoy life. Do you remember? There was no shame. Nobody knew what it felt like to be embarrassed, to make a mistake. There was no sin. God had given them everything that they needed. In fact, they had authority over all creation, over all the animals, everything. They were able to name it. And the moment that they believed this lie that it was okay to disobey God, so much from them was taken away. Let me remind you, God has created you for a purpose. He's given you a position. Don't allow the enemy to fool you and take you out of that position. But God has to give you a choice to choose him. And I remember when me and my wife were dating in college, maybe we were engaged and God was really working on our hearts. And it was the first time I said, all right, I'm going to go into ministry. And I noticed that God was really changing everything about me. Sometimes I feel like, God, you make me cry too much. Stop that, you know? But I started caring about things that I didn't care about before. The way I spoke started to change. The way I started to think started to change. And I remember we were witnessing to this girl. And we asked her at that time, hey, are you saved? And her reply was, I don't know. I don't know if my mom saved me. And it kind of knocked me back. I grew up in a small town. Everybody went to church. I thought everybody knew you got to make the choice on your own. You got to make this decision on your own. You have to choose to follow Jesus. God's not going to force you to do that. And I remember stepping away from that conversation and Christy was still talking and I was fighting back tears because it's like, Lord, there are people out there that just don't know. Have no clue that it's that, that moment that you choose 
Because I still remember clearly for me, it was that day in college when my parents came over to the college house that I was in and alcohol was everywhere and the lifestyle that I was living was completely rebellious. And what they saw, I saw my mom leave in tears. And so in my room, I said, God, you got to change me. You got to do something different. But for the first time in my life, really for the first time, I said, God, I choose you. I choose you. I don't care about what this world has to offer, what fun it looks like right now. God, I need you because every time I go after the world, it becomes a mess. And I feel that shame and that disgrace, those feelings of just guilt. And say, God, I choose you. You have to choose. But I realized that for so many, the thing holding you back is shame because shame tells you that you are unworthy for love. Shame tells you that you're never going to change. Shame tells you that you're never going to be redeemed or restored. You can't get out of that. So I want to ask you right now, what is it for you that's making you feel ashamed? What's making you look at your life, your identity, and shame? Is it an addiction? Every time you want to get away, you go back. Maybe it's the embarrassment of debt. You made poor decisions. Maybe you lost a business. Maybe it's sexual sin. What is it in your life right now that you keep going back to that makes you feel ashamed or unworthy of his love? Because what I'm telling you today with this message, you have a choice to choose Jesus and he will free you from this shame. In fact, let's really get down to it. Listen to me. The reason the enemy wants you to see your identity in shame is because his identity is in shame. He lost his holy position and became an unholy disgrace. And so he wants to knock you out of that position. So here it is, my last point for you. Point number three, we were created with authority over the snake. We were created with authority over the snake. When you choose God, when you choose Jesus, you already have the authority over the enemy. Remember, I told you, one of my favorite passages is Luke chapter 10, 18. Jesus sends out the 72 disciples. Hey, go out, free them, perform miracles, rebuke demons. Here's what he said in verse 19 right after. Listen to this. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. But behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents. Let that sink in. Jesus said, I have given you the authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. And over all the powers of the enemy, nothing shall hurt you. But Adam allowed himself when he believed the lie to be made his servant to the beast of the field that he was created to rule over. Genesis 1:26, God said, let us make man in our image, talking about the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, after our likeness and let them have dominion, let them have authority over the fish of the sea, over the birds of heaven, over the livestock and over all the earth, every creeping thing that creeps on this earth. 
God gave us authority over. But the moment that Adam believed that lie, he allowed the beast of the field to be over him. God will protect your position when you listen, when you have faith, and he will give us authority over the enemy. And as I told you, out of the book of Genesis, you can stand up right here. This is powerful. Because as God was speaking about Adam and Eve and the things that we would now have to go through in this world because of that fall, he also spoke over the snake that Jesus was coming, that the Son of God would come and he would crush the head of the serpent. And the scripture says that he will bite your heel because Jesus was upon that cross. He had to die on that cross for our sins to free us from our shame, to forgive us. And that's what it means that he bit, he bit his heel, excuse me. Satan, Jesus ultimately crushed the head of the serpent. And because of that, we've been freed. Now listen to this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. NIV. If you're struggling right now with shame or dealing with something, listen to this. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. We keep fighting. We keep going by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy. What joy do we have? Jesus is coming back. Now listen to this. Awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. The reason we don't have shame is because he took it upon himself. He took it off you and he placed it upon his shoulders on that cross. Don't you dare let the devil have authority over you. Jesus has come to set you free. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you've been blessed by this message, be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss future messages. And if you feel led to give to this ministry, check out the link in the description and see the other ways you can get connected.